Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes and open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. So in Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, there were different kinds of leaders, different kinds of roles that supported the people of Israel in their relationship with God. Certain individuals were called to specific roles in order to help the people faithfully navigate their day-to-day relationship and affairs of being God's people. So among these many roles, there were prophets and judges and priests and kings. Now, prophets were persons called by God who have an unusual ability to listen for and to access God's purpose, God's desire, which can be hard to recognize day in and day out. So they would advocate around social issues and interests and uh, of the community that they served, and they would help people understand the kinds of actions that God called them to as response to God's action. Judges were persons of governance. They helped govern the people, and sometimes this meant that they acted in a military type of role, But often their main function would be to guide the people to pursue peace and order and well-being to help the people remain fully connected with, with God and healthy in relationship with one another. A priest has a particular role as well, one that you probably can imagine fairly clearly. Their purpose, as you might expect, is to help cultivate the experiences of worship for the people. Their role was to make certain that the ways that the people related to God were reflected in their prayer life and their worship life, their devotional life together. And then there were kings. Oh, the kings. Kings were those who ruled over the people. We generally know what kings do from stories and literature Human kings in the Bible are not terribly far afield from what we're familiar with. The Bible makes a distinction, though, between two kinds of kings. Some kings were appointed by humans, the stuff of our literature and fairy tales, and some kings received divine appointment. These kings are anointed. By God. They are chosen by God to rule over the people of God. So there is also one word of caution about kings, though. If one goes to read about who is king over the people of God, and it's especially good to take note if you were one who would become king, 
that over and over again throughout the Bible, again and again and again and again, it describes God as king over the people. So, for example, when God's desires manifest in the world, Jesus would often describe it as God's kingdom entering the world, entering our lives and us being in the presence of God's kingdom. By the Bible's measure, ultimately, even when there's a human king, God is still the ruler over God's people. Most of the time, the Bible describes a person serving in one capacity, one of these capacities. Now, Samuel, on the other hand, was who we read about today, was was special. He wore multiple hats. He was a prophet, he was a judge, he was a priest, but he was not a king. Definitely not a king. So God acted over God's people directly in a relationship with Samuel and the people. God God's relationship with Samuel was such that that Samuel would listen for God, and Samuel would listen to the people, and through prayer life and communication would go between the two. And from God's perspective, it was a fairly good arrangement. Samuel was faithful. Samuel was trustworthy but his sons were less so, and the people were starting to get weary of it. And the people wanted a king. Now all the other nations had a king, so the people of God wanted one too. You can sort of hear it, right? Everyone else has one, why can't we? Kings give us status, right? You can almost hear the clamoring of the people of God making their pleas to get what they want. A king will make us stronger, better, more important. They say, God, a king will bring us status. Come on, Samuel, a king will protect us from other nations. They argue, a king will fight our battles for us. A king will make us like other nations, only uh, better. So when the elders approach Samuel about this longing that the people have for a king, Samuel's turning to God with some some frustration, some anxiety, and Samuel turns to God in prayer, not so sure about this desire for a king. Actually, he's very sure about, about this desire for a king. He knows it's going to end badly. And God, God turns to Samuel And God turns to God's people, gracious, loving, understanding. And God says to Samuel, tell me about it. Don't take it so personally, Samuel. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And then God says, Samuel, I've gotten used to it. You probably should too. They have been doing this regularly for generations, God says. Hey, I brought them out of Egypt, and ever since, they've been turning away from me. They keep looking for greener pastures, shinier objects, 
brighter lights to orbit around Samuel, stop taking it personally. And God's not trying to be harsh. God's really just telling Samuel a reality that's hard to swallow. God is trying to help Samuel understand, just don't take it personally, God says. Just listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. Yes, warn them about the consequences of a king, because those are real. Show them what a king will do. But let them discern. Let them faithfully decide the direction that they want to go. Let them decide for themselves. At a glance, the story makes it look like God is letting the children eat ice cream right before they're going to eat a kale salad. But when someone we love is about to do something that we know is going to be hard or it's going to be difficult for them, don't we want to find another way? And this is what Samuel's trying to do. It's out of care, out of love. And we learn from the stories of the kings that are to come in the Bible. We learn from the stories that in all of this, God is already prepared for this. God is prepared to nurse the bruises of the people of God. God is prepared to pick them up when they fall. God is there to comfort them when there's pain. God is there to share frustration that they will inevitably feel. And God will be there to help them face the consequences faithfully and mercifully. Samuel, he's hesitant, disappointed, but he does what God says. So he goes to the people. Do you know what a human king will do? The king will conscript your sons and daughters into the army. He will make them into bakers and farmers and perfumers to serve him. He will take your best food and your best wine and the best fruit that comes from your very best orchards. The king is going to borrow, <clears throat> take your money. The king is going to make you work for his gain, for his glory. You are going to answer the demands of the king. You are not like the other nation's people. And that's a good thing, Samuel says to them. So people of God, be yourselves. Be who God made you to be. It's a hard word for Samuel to say. And it's a hard word for the people to hear, really. But it's not enough either. So the elders make their decision, and Samuel, they say, We want a king. Ask, and you shall receive. What God knows and what the Bible tells us is that there are centuries of difficult years ahead for the people of God. Because they have 
chosen this path of having a human king to rule over them instead of having God serve that capacity. And there will be some bright spots, there will, but for the most part, it's going to be hard. And still, even still, when we go to read those stories, God is with the people every step of the way. God is with them through it all. God does not abandon. God never leaves or rejects or discards the people in any way. No, God is faithful still. Now, I know we're pretty deep into a sermon about this matter of asking for a king without yet having really a clear point. We don't really have a clear point yet about what all this means, but there is one, and it is this. God expresses divine love by empowering people. God expresses divine love by empowering people. God is not some distant clockmaker that sets the world into motion and then sits back and watches. No, no, God, God is also not some divine puppet master that's controlling all the movements of the people of God, making all the people, making us do what God wants. No, God creates and then keeps a relationship with what God creates. God loves and continues to love by giving self-determination. God expresses divine love by empowering people. And it's true, God could just rule over the people. Yes, God could just tell everyone what to do, how to do it, how it is going to be, and people get it together. It's the rules, follow them. As Stephen Colbert, the entertainer, so humorously describes this concept, God could simply say, people, it's my way or Yahweh. Yeah. But you see, God relates to the world and refuses to stop. God gives people like us, like you, the gift of responsibility, the freedom to choose. And, it, you know, it does come with some risk, right? The risk of choices that might create distance with God or with one another between ourselves. It might taking a risk of trying something that might not work out. It might take the risk of going somewhere that we're not so sure about, but we feel led to try. And through everything, grace abounds because God is there. And the difference between having a human king and having Yahweh, God, as a king is, well, it's pretty clear. One will hold power over the people and the other is going to share with the people, making our way through this world and this life 
together. God empowers people of faith to listen for God's desire so that we may find a way together with God. Now, this afternoon, we're going to have a congregational meeting, and the church is going to elect officers of the church who have been called by God to serve as elders and as deacons. And God has called these people into ministry. God has called these people into ministry to serve with energy and intelligence and imagination and love. In answering God's call to serve in the church is a significant and faithful act. It often comes with a little bit of uncertainty, too. But God prepares people to be disciples who serve in these ways because it's God who's calling. Now, Samuel, he was awakened by God in the middle of the night. He was awakened by the voice of God And Samuel responded to his call by saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I suppose that our elders and deacons are mostly relieved that they received a call from the nominating committee and not the way Samuel did. Nevertheless, God has empowered elders and deacons just as God empowered Samuel and other elders of the people of God to listen for the ways that God is with us, the way that God is leading and guiding us, the way that God is calling us to be faithful still, the way that God is faithful to us. Now, before these words make any of our candidates get a little too puffed up, to be an elder or a deacon does not make one church member better than another or more important than another. It doesn't make us smarter, wiser, more beautiful. It'd be nice if it did. Ordination doesn't do that for people. But elders and deacons are called into specific ministry for the whole people of God. And it is an honor. It is a joy to serve in these ways. Because elders and deacons are given a specific responsibility by the congregation, by all of you, charging them with the task to help cultivate and nourish a faith and a life that flourishes among us, that is always aware of the ways that God is with us and leading us. They act not to seek their own opinions or desires, but on behalf of the church and its faith, to discern, to prayerfully consider our life together as a church. Now, as a congregation, we ask them to pursue the ministry that God is calling the church to make possible. So they pray, and they serve, and they support, and you know what? Sometimes they're going to take risks and make mistakes. 
And sometimes they're going to have dreams, big dreams that don't go as planned. And that's the difficult part of being the church. And yet through it all, the story of Samuel can make us confident in one thing, that through it all, no matter what, God never stops being with us and for us. God stood by centuries with those Israelites, with the people of God, and God still walked together with them. And we know that God loves the people, and God is still advocating for the people. God still seeks justice and peace and compassion in the world, and God wants to live these things through the life of the church, and God still wants people to flourish. People like you, people like us, people like our neighbors. God will be there when it is great, and God will be there when it is difficult. God empowers people to listen and to go faithfully where God is leading us, and I am so grateful. I feel so grateful for those persons who hear God's call and faithfully respond and accept willingly, prayerfully, to consider nomination and an office like being an elder and a deacon. And I hope all of you, as we meet peop these people again for the first time, for many of us know one another, that you will support them and lift them up and care for them the way that we know that God cares for us. So friends, may you know God who empowers with love. May you know Christ who reveals the lengths that God will go to be with us. And may you know the Spirit who is urging us, urging us, calling us forward, asking us to go walk out into the world with joy. May it be so today and always. Amen.